Hello, welcome to the Inner Sanctum October with special guest Nancy Rhines. It's so great Hello. to have you all online. Hi, Nancy. Hello. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate your having me back on after a couple of years away. I know. It's been a couple of years. I first interviewed Nancy on the show in um, around July 2015. I'm looking at the YouTube and that was one of my very first ones. Also, we were talking about that before. Very first putting my face on YouTube because <laughs> I'd been on, uh, on radio for about five years before that and I'd never had my face. You know, I could sit behind the microphone and my slippers and, you know, my tracksuit pants. I've still got my slippers on. <laughs> Nancy's story is just amazing. There's been so much that's happened because the first time I um, had a chat with you was... So you had your accident at the beginning of 2014, didn't you? Your, right, yep. And so it had been quite, it was not long, but a lot has happened in that couple of years. But should we go over um, for people, who hasn't heard Nancy's story? Has anyone not heard Nancy's story? Ah, oh, Maria hasn't heard Nancy's story. Anybody else not heard Nancy's story, I think? Oh, Gloria, you haven't heard Nancy's story. Okay, so for people that are watching that haven't heard Nancy's story, do you want to just go through it briefly who you were what happened at the time okay yeah I'll, i will do a brief run through um mm -hmm. and i usually take almost an hour to do this but i won't take up that much time today so before january of 2014 um i was really a scientist and i would consider myself an atheist i was a a geologist by training and i also had done some archaeology and I was at that point, I was doing some science writing and some technical writing for a, a scientific company in Boulder, Colorado. And I was out for a, a bike ride around town. And my little town is just a kind of a suburb of Boulder. And Boulder's not that big either. So these were small towns. And I went out for a bike ride on, a, on January 3rd of 2014. And it was a beautiful day. It was really warm and sunny and dry. And as I was dry, uh, riding my bike uh, in the bike lane um, into a roundabout that was, you know, one of those traffic circle things that was new on the south side of my town, uh, there was a driver that was coming in from my right, so from a road to the right, and she was um, trying to, I don't know what she was trying to do, she looked like she was going to stop, and so i kind of cautiously continued to ride into the traffic circle. But at the very last minute, I could tell that she wasn't going to stop. And she basically, you know, hit me like this, T-boned me. I was riding my bike and, you know, she hit me on the side. I ended up flipped up on the top of her big SUV. It was, a, I think, a Chevy Tahoe, if I remember right. And look, was looking in at her um, through the windshield which is kind of still a surreal experience to remember that. I remember all of this, by the way, every millisecond of this. And um, she was texting while she was driving. She had her phone up on her steering wheel kind of like this and, and trying to text while she was driving. She didn't even see me looking in at her. So she kept driving and ended up, uh, long story short, she ended up um, continuing to drive around the roundabout and I couldn't hang on to the hood of her Tahoe anymore. So I ended up falling down, I slid down the front of her vehicle and then ended up um, falling onto the pavement and then she rolled over me. Uh, I was in, luckily in between the tires. So, you know, the tires were like this. So I was in between and I kind of got caught, my upper chest, the sternum um, got caught on the, the transfer case under her 
vehicle, um, that thing that kind of comes down in the front of your axle. I got caught on that. And at the same time, I think I reached up with my right hand and grabbed on to the axle because the way she was driving, I knew that, you know, if, if I didn't hang on, she was going to roll over me with her back tire. So um, during that time, though, I had what I call, it wasn't really a full out-of-body experience, but I call it uh, an experience of my higher self at the same time as my regular self. I call it dual consciousness, but I, I sensed and felt and experienced the accident from both outside of my physical body and inside it. And those two bits of consciousness were very different. They were distinct in a way. Um, the human part of me was very fear-driven and anxious and um, screaming and afraid, as you could imagine. Um, but that part of me that was literally like standing outside watching the whole thing unfold was like standing there literally with the hands like clasped. Everything is going to be just fine. Everything is sad, but it will be okay in the end. I'm like, it's not okay. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> anyway, finally, one of the bystanders um, or uh, witnesses drove his truck around the roundabout the opposite way and stopped her. She still didn't know I was underneath of her car. So she was dragging me along underneath of her vehicle. And so he, he drove his truck around the opposite direction and stopped her. And um, then they called the paramedics. And, you know, it was at the point that the paramedics started working on me. You know, they kind of move you around a little bit to see what's broken. And um, that's when my t the two parts of myself kind of came back together was when that the pain level started to get really bad. Um, but when that first... When she first was stopping and I tried to wiggle out from underneath of her car, um, there was a woman that came up kind of out of the blue and literally out of the blue. She was a beautiful blonde woman, young, um, and said she, she was a nurse, a trauma nurse. And, you know, she put her hands on my shoulders and had me just kind of sit or lay still. And she said, don't move. My name is Anne. I'm here to help you. I'm a trauma nurse. And, you know, we're calling the paramedics. And I didn't know it at the time, but she basically saved, probably saved my life. I had, um, I think, five vertebrae in my neck that were fractured in multiple places and four in my lower back that were pretty badly broken. One of them was gone. It was burst apart. There was, it was completely shattered. So if I had gotten up, I probably would have been at least a quadriplegic, if not dead because it was my, um, I think it was C2 and 3 that were the most badly damaged and just right below my, uh, where the skull meets the, the neck. So she saved my life and then sort of disappeared. It was one of those, you know, stories you kind of hear about and here it was happening to me. She, she said, um, she, wanted, she asked if, if I wanted her to go to the hospital with me and I said, sure. Um, but then she just, disappeared and nobody was able to find her after that. Um, in fact, the, the district attorney's office uh, in Boulder County, where I lived, I think they looked for her for six months and couldn't find her, um, mostly because she was a witness, uh, but also because I wanted to say thanks. But she disappeared and um, I don't know whatever happened to her. But without her intervention, I probably wouldn't be here, you know, speaking to you. So she kept me quiet and calm and 
I guess she kept me around to do my real job. <laughs> so I, I went into the trauma center, which wasn't too far away from where the accident happened. And besides the, the trauma to my spine, which was pretty extensive, um, there were 24 bones broken in total. And they couldn't actually count the number of breaks. It was just too many. Each bone was broken several times. So it was pointless. But I had f five ribs that were broken. Uh, my pelvis was cracked. Um, and then I had my uh, collarbone. This, this one, my left one, was broken. It still actually is um, broken out here, the distal end. And then uh, my sternum was cracked. So because the trauma to my back was so bad, and it was really bad. Um, there was n basically nothing left of my L1 vertebrae. So the first lumbar vertebrae was effectively gone. And so I had to go into surgery a couple of days later so that they could install um, titanium rods so that I could still you know, get around and move. Um, and then I would be able to be up and around in, a, in one of those clamshell back braces. So I kind of looked you know, like I was a, basically a clam at that point. But I went into surgery a couple of days after the accident, and that's when I died on the operating table. So I had some kind of an odd reaction uh, with the anesthesia, and my heart stopped, my breathing stopped, my blood pressure went to zero for about two minutes or so, which is a long time. <laughs> the, uh, the, the operating room nurse that I spoke with later um, actually relatively recently said they were pretty well panicked but um, anyway that that's when I found myself waking up in this really beautiful place and it was a place of I was on a mountainside almost or a hillside with a meadow and beautiful flowers and trees in the distance and you know mountains and mountains beyond and not it wasn't just beautiful to my eyes, but I could feel welcomed and at peace and loved and accepted for who I was in that moment. Even though I knew, you know, I wasn't that great of a person. I wasn't like the the saint that everybody thinks you have to be to get to heaven. Um, I I got there and looked around and I thought, well, this is pretty nice. I could spend surgery here. And then I had looking around a little bit more and felt that peace and love flow through me. And I thought, hmm, this doesn't feel like surgery. I wonder if I died. <laughs> and I had that thought of, I wonder if I died on the operating table. And then I, was, then I was like, this is all right. I can handle this. If this is what death is like, this is not bad. <laughs> but then I, had a, I kind of took a, almost a, a, a step back and thought, now, wait a minute. I don't believe in any of this stuff because I was an atheist. How come I'm here? And I was thinking this in my head. I wasn't vocalizing it. And the moment I, I thought that in my head, there was a voice that came and said, you are home. You are my child. Welcome home. And it was accompanied with so much peace and love and acceptance that I just, I lost it. I think I cried for, it felt like hours um, just to have that amount of acceptance, even knowing that I hadn't been, I've been a human, I've been imperfect. I hadn't been a saint, but I was still accepted back into our spiritual home. Doesn't mean I was off the hook for some of the things that, that I had done. And, and 
you know, I went through what felt like if I were to put it into earthly terms, probably two or three months of education with a spiritual guide. Her, um, she told me later that her name is Mary, so I'll call her Mary. But um, so she took me on a journey. And it was kind of like, you know, the whole Star Wars Jedi Knight thing. It felt like I was being schooled by Yoda. You know, I was going through all these places and she was teaching me things as we were walking and it was really more about at that point how to take heaven's wisdom and live a good life on earth so i call it heaven on earth 101 yeah and that's what she taught me and and it took like i said two or three months to instill that just the basic basic wisdom in me and um then once that time was up and a lot of stuff. I mean, there was a lot of stuff about, you know, peace and love and connection and uh, gratitude and um, living from your heart and the power that we have within our own choices. Um, Once, once she got through all of that, she said, well, it's time for you to go back now. (laughs) And I said, there's no way I'm going back there. (laughs) I'm going to stay here. Yeah. So we had a bit of a tussle. Um, I was the one that was throwing the fit and she was just kind of, you know, standing there like, yeah, I've heard this before. (laughs) You know, I'm sure she has dealt with the same thing before if she's ever dealt with an NDE or, but um, I threw a fit for quite a while, but she reminded me while I was there that I had made an agreement to do all this stuff. Right. And once I saw me, she showed me, me making that agreement from her perspective. So I got to see me basically, you know, symbolically signing this contract, Mm -hmm. but from her perspective as a witness to what was happening. And I'm like, Oh, okay, well, I guess I do have to go back. I still don't want to, but I did realize all of a sudden it felt like literal, a literal weight kind of fell on my shoulders. Like, Oh boy, this is a big deal. I made a commitment. And I need to go back and, and keep it. And the first, the first part of that commitment was to take what I learned and turn my life around. Right. That, was, that was the deal. I had to do it on myself first mm-hmm. and share it with my family and friends. And so, I mean, I'm still doing that. That's, that's still part of my own learning. I still put that into practice every day. Um, but then part of the next part of it was I was supposed to be uh, – explaining or teaching this some of these concepts to other people whoever wanted to listen and so that's kind of what I've been doing since but um, that's kind of, that's it in a nutshell there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot in there that you there's know, a lot go on for days about what happened but, yeah there's a lot there's a lot of teachings that she taught you and I want to get into some of the teachings because that's the you know, why it all happened but you know what I the question I have is and I, and I suspect you asked her and maybe you asked her, you know, since you've been back in your body or maybe you asked her when you were out of your body, why did you have to go through so much trauma to remember this uh, contract, to wake up, to why all the pain, why all the broken bones, why so such a big trauma, so much pain? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I had been given three opportunities before this to turn my life back to the spirit 
to spirit, to God, you know, however you want to um, phrase that divine presence. Right. So now I call it mostly the divine presence or spirit, but I had had three opportunities prior to that um, to make this shift. Right. And it, each time I turned away and right. each, each time the opportunity became more and more traumatic. So the last time before this one was uh, when my dad died right. and it was a pretty traumatic death for him and for me and for everybody. But I had a moment there where I heard, I kid you not, I had a shared death experience with him. Mm. And I didn't know what it was at the time. I only knew, you know, actually only about a year ago, I met someone who could explain to me what it was. But so when he passed, I heard the same song with him that I heard when I was in heaven. Oh. I didn't know. I thought I was crazy when that was happening. I thought it was a nutcase because I was an atheist. I didn't believe in any of that. But I heard it. It was loud and insistent. I could, it was, went through me. I could hear. It was a joyful song. And I wrote about it on my blog because it was just so moving. And that was the last opportunity that I had to make that shift back to becoming a spiritual person again and, and fulfilling what I was supposed to do as a teacher. I really am um, kind of a, a teacher mystic warrior in some respects. Um, but, but mostly in this life, I'm supposed to be a practicer. The first thing I do is practice what I, what I want to teach and then teach it. And I had gotten completely derailed from that. Um, and this was my last opportunity. So without this, if I, if, if I turned my back on this opportunity, it was basically it. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't get another chance. Mm -hmm. So luckily, I took the chance to, and um, started to live the life. Yeah, I but guess. It took a big, you know, some of us have harder heads than others. <laughs> 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 and we, and, but sometimes it takes a huge trauma like this in order to kind of really snap us out of where we are. And I was so entrenched in being a skeptic and a materialist and a non-believer, atheist, everything. And I used to make such fun of people who had spiritual experiences that I needed, I think, something really big. And it was something beyond meeting just Jesus or um, but the Buddha, I met God, you know, and when you meet God, it's like, oh boy, <laughs> it's not a come to Jesus meeting for me. I needed the come to God meeting and, and I needed the big wake up call. Um, some people don't need such a big wake up call, but you know, I guess I did. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, your story speaks of so many that I've spoken to, uh, you know, I talk about our soul plan. You know, we have that little plan before we get here. We have a spiritual contract or a, a bit of a plan, like what we want to do while we're here. And, and then we get caught up in everything that it is to be human and the deliciousness of life and relationship and, and technology and the mind. And it's all so delicious and we get so distracted from our plan. And, but we're getting all these messages all the time and it can be death. For me, it was the death of my mother, but it still took me yeah. years to get with the program. But death is a big one. And then pain in your body. And if you're not listening, you know, I had a, this joke with uh, Natalie Sudman. If you're not listening, 
they'll put a bomb under you. You know, Natalie was literally blown up in a bomb blast. <laughs> we had a giggle about that. It's like, you know that saying, like, got to put a bomb under you to get you listening or hit right. by a truck. But Hit um, by a truck, yeah. For me, it was the truck. <laughs> literally hit by a truck. Literally hit by a truck. But, you know, pain in your body is also your guide speaking to you, saying, right. um, are you listening? Are you listening? You have some resistance to who you are supposed to be. Yeah. You have some resistance to being connected to your source. And if you don't listen and just take some drugs and keep going, the pain gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, I found that actually it was an interesting two or three, four weeks after my accident and surgery because I couldn't move very much. I was, I was up and around, but it was really hard. And I wasn't really in a lot of pain, surprisingly enough. Um, I wasn't even taking pain meds at that point. But I had a lot of time to myself. And for whatever reason, that... And, and there, may, there may be a physiological explanation for this, but the pain, the, the, the bit of pain that I did feel propelled me really to, I guess, go into a form of meditation and um, contemplation and just learning how to be with it. I was learning how to really turn off the ego mind and just be in this place of appreciation and love. Uh, I remember laying in the hospital. I was in the hospital for two weeks after the surgery. And I would just lay there uh, when my family wasn't around for maybe an hour or two. And just I was just feeling so grateful. It was this complete, utter um, engulfment in gratitude and love. And everybody who would walk in the room, whether it was like a nursing assistant or a housekeeping assistant or whatever, I'd be like, oh, wow, you're just so loving. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And I wasn't even on drugs. <laughs> I wasn't on opiates or anything. I was just me. That was just me. But it, it allowed me, I think, to just completely, that and, the, and, of course, the dual consciousness experience, I could really tell what was my, my human consciousness, my ego, mm -hmm. versus what was my higher self. Mm -hmm. And I could switch back and I still can, I could switch back and forth relatively easily. Um, but even when I'm in this human state, I'm in my human state. I call it with, um, I'm, I call it, I'm walking with my soul in the front and my ego is off to the side. Mm -hmm. So before, and even when I spoke with you, I wasn't last time, I wasn't really at that place that I was still struggling and it was mostly my ego, but now in the last eight months or so, there's been a shift, a continuing shift from all of this that has happened where there, I'm an, in an, a, a moment of awareness in each and every moment. So I'm, it's kind of wild. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I, I feel very conscious in each and every moment. And I can bring that consciousness to those times when my little ego self is like, blah, 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 or, you know, chattering yeah. or in fear or um concerned or whatever it's doing over here but that that soul consciousness or that higher consciousness now is really driving my days um it it isn't always that way i mean i still have slip-ups but yeah it feels a lot better i'm very calm um 
even though, you know, sometimes, some days things don't necessarily go right, yeah. at least in, you know, my little ego mind, but still I feel fine. I'm calm with it. I just let it roll and, and everything is good. Um, so that's been a big shift since you and I talked last. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's beautiful. You've, there's so much that's happened to you because, you know, when we talked last time, it had really only just been just over a year, like, uh, I don't know, a, a year and a half or so. And, um, right. and since then, you know, your book's out there and people are asking you to come and speak. And so you've, you've been the teacher, you've stood up there as the teacher and sharing your experience. And as we were talking about before I press the recording, you've been exposed as I have to a whole lot of vilification from people judging you for your experience and coming to you with their ideas of heaven and religion and all that sort of stuff, which is a spiritual growth in itself, you know, to, right. to be, to be judged so much and then to stay in that higher aspect of yourself and not feel like you need to defend yourself but come back at these people with love you know when people attack you for you know they come at you with their beliefs and you're wrong and i'm right and all that sort of stuff to stay in the soul aspect as you were talking about and not get in the ego mind that says right. let me just tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, at first it was hard yes uh, Nancy, um, can you just like uh, explain what it feels like when you said that you walk with your uh, soul out versus your so, ego? Right. Like a day, can you just explain how a day would go one way versus the other way based on, like what does that feel like? It's tough to describe, but I'll try. And um, I, I don't know that the day necessarily flows any differently. What, what's different is that I'm very, literally in each and every moment I'm aware. And I'm, it's more like an expanded consciousness. So I'm aware of everything and everyone and I'm seeing my actions from a lot of different perspectives, which at first is a little bit confusing, but I feel uh, ex extreme connectedness to everything in each and every moment. And I'm very conscious of what I do and what I say, and what I think, um, and how my actions are putting energy out into the world in each and every moment. Whereas before, I, I would maybe think about that maybe once or twice a day, whereas now that drives pretty much everything I do from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. And so inside it feels very calm. I don't really get upset. Um, I'm, I trust that things are working out just the way they should, even though it's funny because sometimes I can feel that or hear that little ego mind wanting to get really overdramatic and upset. And I'm just, it's okay. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. We'll figure out a way to deal with it. And that little chattering mind just kind of gets quieter and quieter over time. Um, but it's really more of a, of a knowing because I know, I know that this is temporary. There's a knowing sense that I am a part of something greater and I'm here to do my job. There's a knowing that everything, and this, is, this was really intimidating for me at first, which is I think why it took me so long to get here. Everything that I do and say and think and feel is energy. And it's the thinking and feeling that trip a lot of people up because they they assume that they can't, they can't um, influence what they think. 
And I'm here to tell you that you can. It takes some work. It's, it may not necessarily be easy as pie, but um, it does, it is, a, it is possible. But everything, I know that now everything in each and every moment, each and every moment is a gift. There's the whole, you know, Eckhart Tolle talked about the now moment. It is just now, 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 now. And so my, my consciousness is worried about, only worried about or dealing with the now moment. And there is no worry. Um, I may not know what, what's going to happen in a year, but I'm okay with that because I know I'm doing what I can right now and what I need to be doing right now. So it's more of a sense of, I call it inner Zen. It's, um, it, it is just Zen. People look at me and they're like, how, how did you get there? Cause I used to be a super anxious person mm. and, um, I wouldn't say I was depressed or anything, but I would go through, you know, cyclic moods of up and down. And now it's pretty much, it's even keel. Um, I'm usually pretty upbeat, not like super upbeat, but I'm pretty even keeled and very conscious and just very attentive in each and every moment. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I don't go unconscious like I used to, where you kind of, you know, act out of, reaction rather than being proactive mm -hmm. so a lot of the way that i used to be was very reactive mm -hmm. and um, unconscious and so today i would say i'm more conscious of everything that i do in each and every moment and everything that i say but it's a very calming place to be and i think i've only gotten upset once in the last 18 months <laughs> Yeah. And that it was silly. And I, when I was in it, I, you know, finally caught myself being this whole, you know, going through this whole human drama again. I was like, oh, yeah, we don't need to deal with that. Everything's going to be fine. And then it was over with. But it's it's for me, it's a, a it, it's a stepping out of the human drama and into truly living the way that I felt while I was, you know, in that heavenly state. Um, just an expanded state of consciousness. I don't know if that helps or what, but does that hopefully help? it does. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that you're just aware of everything you say. Like when you're interacting with people, you're consciously aware of what you're. You're not just reacting to what they're saying. You're really okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a conscious listening, and the, it's interesting that it's a it's a conscious li listening from the ear, but it's also um, for me, when I'm, you know, when I'm speaking with someone personally, it's eye to eye and heart to heart. And I can, I'm just in it with them. And it kind of freaks some people out, um, especially when I've been trying to date, you know, because I'm single and, and once in a while I've gone on dates and it really freaks normal people out when you're really attentive. They just don't know what to do with that. And, and I've been um, helping, I work I'm working on a is a consultant right now for uh, uh, the an army hospital near here, and we're in the middle of hiring uh, a person. I hope I'm hoping that will you know help me out as we transition. But you know I've been watching this. I've been doing a lot of interviews through this process, and I can always tell when people are completely unconscious. And I would say about 90% of the people are about 90% unconscious 90% of the time. Wow. 
And in even people who have had an NDE, if you, if you don't work on this through meditation or prayer or, you know, some kind of contemplative practice, it's easy for that, to, that sense to drift away. Yeah. Um, so it, it does take some work, but I tell you what, it's completely changed my life in the last year. I love it. <laughs> uh, does well, anybody I ever catch you unaware? Like, how do you not get sucked in? Like, if they come at you uh, aggressively, how do you not, do you, are you ever in a moment where you start reacting to them instead of, like, are you? Not anymore. No, just not anymore. Yeah, okay. No, I usually just stop. And usually what, what, needs, what I end up doing in those situations is I take a deep breath and just let some silence happen because people don't like silence either. And, and then I'll just come back and say something very calmly and I, there's no emotional response that comes out. Uh, and I gave an example, um, you know, before y'all hopped on, Karen and I were talking about a woman uh, who confronted me during a speech I was giving was earlier this year. And she was a very religious person who basically was trying to tell me that everything that I experienced, the love, the peace, the joy, all that stuff was wrong. And that, of course, it was, I was the devil and all that stuff. And I just let her talk. And then after a couple of minutes of her spouting off, then she asked me, well, how do I make all my atheist friends become Christians? And I was like, <laughs> first of all, that's not your job. But there was a part of me that just said, it's fine. She needs to hear this. So I, what I told her is just be the love and peace that, you know, you learned from Jesus. And she just went like this. But there was no emotional response from me. I didn't react. And so if you don't, if you don't participate in the drama, it goes nowhere. Exactly. It, the energy just dissipates. So that the drama that someone comes at you with is basically, you know, an invitation to participate in that drama and get all, you know, spun up. But if you step back and, you know, refuse to accept the gift and just stay in your peace, they don't know what to do with that. And then they can relax into it a little bit and actually hear. But it takes someone to just stop and, not, and refuse to participate in that drama. Um, one of the things that Mary taught me, you know, during my NDE was that we humans, when we're in our unconscious states, are very prone to drama. We like to get all wrapped up in this ego and the drama and making things, you know, way more dramatic than they really need to be. And that's basically she taught me to just take that step back because when I was there with her, I was really dramatic too because I was still you know, working out of my ego. I hadn't left that human self behind yet fully. And, and I just watched her. She would always just, you know, you probably can't see me, but she would just be standing there like, really? You know, and, and her not participating in my drama allowed me to calm down and then re-engage with her. So I kind of learned it from her. Right. just by watching and, and kind of let that come back into my own life. And it really works. It's crazy yeah. how good it works. <laughs> I do it with my daughter too, but she's, 
she's not, she's 16, but she doesn't really, she's not prone to drama like a normal 16 year old. So I don't know if she's picked this up from me or if she's just been that way, but it's nice to see her getting this lesson too, that she doesn't have to participate in that, that drama. Oh, there's so much. Oh, it's just fabulous. <laughs> what you're saying is just so fabulous. Look, for everyone that's on this call, you know, this message is really for you. It's, it's the ones that don't participate in the drama, like Mary, like Nancy, yeah. um, that teach others how to not participate in the, to, to participate in the drama because, you know, the media is showing us how to participate in the drama. They love putting conflict all those, you know, soap operas, there's like someone barking at someone and someone barking back and there's just conflict all the time, like this reaction. And, uh, you know, that what, this is what being a deliberate creator is all about. It's being deliberate in how you respond to life. And it could right. be these overzealous um, religious people telling you that you're going, <laughs> you're wrong and you're being, de- I get a lot of people say that I've been possessed by demons uh, the new age is, de- you know, you're demonic and unless you come to Christ through the church and yada, yada, yada. But whatever anyone's saying to us, it's always coming from their own fear. If somebody, right. is, if somebody is judging us for anything, whether it's the 16-year-old or the 26-year-old daughter yelling at, you don't understand me, you know, it's just coming from a fear. And as teachers, as new old teachers, as all of you are, when you come from love and come from that soul aspect, as Nancy's talking about, because that's who your soul is, it's love. So every time you're loving, whether you're loving the cat or you're loving the angry person or you're loving the lover, you're coming from your soul aspect. <laughs> you know, every time you're in joy, you're in your higher self. It's kind of that simple, really. But when, yeah, you, come, yeah, when you come from that, up against the person that is in fear that's yelling at you or vilifying you or judging you, you show them who they can be inside there. You know, you show them. And uh, as, as you say, like um, Byron Katie says, defense is the first act of war. So right. as soon as you defend yourself, you're now at war. And, right. you know, what's really interesting is these spiritual religious people, you know, they talk about peace and they want peace. They want you to come to Jesus because they want more peace, but then they want to have a f- that fight with you about how you're, how you're wrong. So they're, um, they're participating in the war and it's up to us to not participate in it. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a, a huge lesson. It was a big one for me and it was a huge aha moment when I finally got it. Um, but it's, it's really, you know, Jesus spoke about it. Um, it's being in this world, but not of it. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you can be here, but not participate in all this drama. This stuff works in meetings. I use it all the time when I'm, I do consulting sometimes. And, and if I'm in a meeting, I actually w- right now work for the U.S. Army. So talk about confrontation and, you know, defense. But they're actually wonderful people to work with. But there are times when meetings will get heated. And it just takes someone or a couple of someones to just chill it out by going into that non-judgmental, unemotional you know, non-dramatic place and, and just kind of calm down the drama. Um, human, the human ego and mind just naturally go into that. So um, anything that you can do in your own self to, to calm that down. For me, it was more of a consistent spiritual practice of 
learning how to focus my attention. You know, I have a, a devoted spiritual practice every morning. I do some things and, you know, throughout the day I do gratitude and then I do meditation and prayer at night. So I make sure that I, up until then I was practicing, practicing, practicing. And then finally at some point it clicked. It all came back together and just became the way I was, the way I was. Um, in fact, one of my students, I think it was this summer down in California said, um, you know, we Californians like to have some really complicated spiritual practices and the more complicated, the better. And he looked at me and he was a young guy. He was probably 25 or 30 or something. And he said, but that's what I want is what you have. He said, your life is your spiritual practice. And I said, yes. bingo, you got yeah. it. That's exactly what it's all about. Making your life, your spiritual practice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you would like spiritual guidance from my guides, Blissful Beings, go to karenswain.com for a reading or to listen to more enlightened thought leaders share their wisdom. Go to the listen page on karenswain.com and choose who you want to listen to. Remember to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it, we're there. Until next time, bye for now. If you feel like that's what you want